was a wonderful sermon this morning. If you did not get to hear Pastor David, you'll want to get on the internet and download it. He's talking about foundations of the Christian faith. And this morning he talked about how to grow in Christ and used a text out of Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a fantastic sermon. Now you've come into this class and it actually fits quite well because we're studying church history. And this week, our lesson in church history, our third lesson is on the Didache. The Didache. Now, some people have been asking how to pronounce it. It's not Didache. It's not D-dash. Um, it's Didache. Didache. So let's talk about the Didache for a moment. We're going to begin with you pronouncing it. Didache. Say it one more time. Didache. Oh, you're ahead of 95% of the Christians today. But you would not be ahead of the Christians in our New Testament day. Because Didache is a Greek word that means teaching. And so the Didache is the teaching. And that's just a shorthand title that's been used by people today for this writing. It comes from the Greek root word didasko. Um, we know didasko because there's an English word we get from it. Didactic. It means to teach. So uh, a didactic uh, uh, opportunity is a teaching opportunity. Uh, to teach comes from didasko. Now, didasko, the verb to teach, is used many, many times in the New Testament. And so I've grabbed a couple just to give you a feel for it. In Matthew 4.23, where it says that Jesus went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, it's that verb from didasko. And so that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was teaching. Um, if we look at the actual Greek word didache, which is not the verb, but it's more of a noun. It's, it's the, the idea of teaching. That's found as well. John uh, uh, says this in John 6, 17. Well, let's go, I'm sorry, to Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Now, this is an important passage in our lesson today, because it it is recognized by a few scholars that this is something more significant by the time Luke's writing it than simply a statement that the the um, initial Pentecostal community was listening to the general teaching of the apostles. Because the Didache itself, the writing we're going to study, has two titles to it, but ultimately it was called the Didache of the Apostles, the teaching of the Apostles. And uh, there is a good number of scholars who believe that it was written about the time, or maybe even a little bit before the time, that Luke wrote the book of Acts. And so there are a set of scholars that think when Luke says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that he's actually talking about the Didache itself. They devoted themselves to the Didache. Those are probably, 
I mean, you, you don't sit down and count these scholars and say, okay, everybody who thinks this way, raise a hand. Everybody who thinks that way, raise a hand. Instead, there's a handful of maybe two dozen scholars that are really well-versed and well-published in the Didache. And this is a minority view among those scholars. But it's still a, a, a notable minority of, of some very intelligent, well-written, well-studied scholars. So this idea, and, and keep it in your mind, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the Didache of the apostles, may be a reference to what we're studying today. Let's look at another passage. Acts 5.28. The chief priests are upset with the apostolic preaching and teaching, and they are specifically told, we strictly charge you not to teach, that's the dasco, the verb, not to teach in this name, yet here you are filling Jerusalem with your teaching. Didache. Again, we've got it there. Acts 17, 19, we can advance to the point where Paul is in uh, uh, Athens for this passage. And when Paul's in Athens, they bring him to the Areopagus and they say, may we know this new teaching, Didache. What is this new Didache that you're presenting? What is this new teaching? Now, not all of those are references to the Didache, if any of them at all. But it's just to give you an idea of how often you'll come across this word when you're reading the New Testament. It's a very common word. So with that, let's go back into a little bit of history and talk about the Didache. Scholars knew that there was a teaching of the apostles that the early church held to and that the early church used and that the early church followed. But not because we had a copy of it. We didn't. It had been lost to the ravages of time. But there are early church writers who referenced it. And so for centuries, scholars knew that the early church had some type of a, a manual or a, a, a training a, a pamphlet, for lack of a better way. That's a 21st century and 20th century idea. 19th too. But you know, some type of, of oral slash written teaching that went by this name of the, the teaching or the training. You can also dedicate can mean training. The, the teaching or the training manual of the apostles. And so uh, the, the church knew about early church having it, but didn't have a copy. Until a Greek Orthodox fellow, appropriately named Philotheos, that means friend of God in Greek, Philotheos is rummaging around in Istanbul in his monastic library in 1873. And he finds this copy of this Greek manuscript. And he doesn't realize that in the middle of this is the Didache. It's got some other Greek as well. It's got Clement that we studied last week in it. And it's an early church document. The actual document itself was probably copied around 1000 AD. But he doesn't realize for a while what he's got. He's a really smart fella. And so at some point he begins to read through it and he begins to translate it. And he realizes, wow, I may have found the elusive Didache. 
I may have actually found what we've known existed, but nobody had a copy of. In Greek. And so he starts uh, looking at it. He works on it. He finally publishes it about six or eight years later. And when, for example, when it, it was a big splash when it hit the New York bookstores, they sold 5,000 copies in a day. That's huge in the 1880s. In New York City, I'm not sure they sell 5,000 Bibles a day right now. And, 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 and New York City is so much bigger than it was then. So anyway, so it makes a big splash. Now, here's, here's the section that starts with the Didache. And I've put it up there as, as a, a copy of the actual document. And if you're a Greek reader, and we've got a number of scholars who are, you can sort of start making it out. But these are, this is Greek as it was written about 1000 AD. And that's not that easy for you to just pick up and read. I dare say, if you want to come look at a King James Bible from 1611, the first year it was printed, you're not going to just read it like this. They made their letters differently, even though they were speaking the King's English. And so, uh, uh, you know, if you had an, an, an S, it looked like an F if it's at the end of a word. And, and, and so Psalms looks like Psalm. And, and it's, it's, it's just different reading. And so um, I've put the, I've put it in modern Greek font, like you might get in a book up there for you to look at. So we're going to play a little game for a moment. This is like, where's Waldo in Greek, Mark Wilkie? So uh, that right there, that looks like a note in a someone might sing attached to a long tail next to another note that goes down to the letter A and then some type of an X that's drooping down below the line. That is the Greek word didache. You've got it again on the next slide. You can see it here. Didache. You can compare where I've underlined it in red to where we have it in the top left of the overhead or the, the slide. You can now try and look at the, the line itself to see how they wrote. And you can start making out some of the other letters, though you'll quickly recognize if you try to read it that the writer was using some abbreviations as well. And so you've got, for example, on the second line after Didache, you can see that letter K, and then you've got a U next to it with a line across the U. Do you see that? That's the abbreviation for Kurios or for Lord. And so, uh, or Kuriu in this form that it would take, but that is Lord, and then you can make out the rest and the Dia and then the tone they had abbreviated. It's just kind of cool for nerds. Which brings me to the way I'm dressed today. Luz Clinton whispered to her husband, who cannot keep a secret, Mark looks like a nerd. Mark said, Mark is a nerd, so it's works. So, now here's what I want you to imagine. We've all grown up that's not a fair thing to say. 
We haven't all grown up. No. Most of us have grown up aware of Christianity. I dare say very few here or very few watching grew up and matured into adulthood without an awareness of Christianity. It might be something... I grew up in a Christian home. My, my parents, both the devouted believers in Christ, and we were too, expected to be whether we wanted to or not. And, and, and all of us grew into faith and, and made it our own, but we grew up with a Christian understanding. We grew up in America at a time where Christianity was still uh, recognized as a fabric of our nation. And not everybody was a Christian, not even remotely so. But if you talked about someone being good or someone being bad, people tended to think in terms of a Judeo-Christian norm of what's good and bad, as opposed to an age where who knows what good is, who knows what bad is, if you're in certain circles today, because it's not as, as uh, well known. But I'd like you to imagine for a moment what it might have been like to grow up as a pagan Greek Let's say you're in one of the Greek cities in Syria, Antioch. And you grow up a pagan Greek. You might grow up believing in all of the Greek deities. You might grow up believing, as, as was a, a move among intellectualism at the time, that those deities are nice representations of an idea. But maybe, if anything, there's some ambiguous, we can call him God, maybe not. Regardless, you grow up and you are absolutely have zero awareness of Christianity. None. And then perchance a neighbor of yours starts realizing, and this may be a neighbor who was Jewish and went to the Jewish synagogue at a time where the Jews kept themselves very separated from the Gentiles. But this Jew has embraced within his Judaism a sect that follows Jesus as Messiah and teaches that rather than being exclusive from the world, the believer in Christ is to engage the world because the secret, the mysterion that Paul wrote about in Colossians that David preached about this morning was one, how God was going to bring Christ in you to the nations, to the ethnos, to, to all of the people. And so you, you're, you're a Jew, and instead of being exclusivist, now all of a sudden you're dealing with people in a different way. You want them to know Jesus. And so you decide to, to see what this is about. And you decide to become a Christian. Now you've got a pagan who's been living a pagan life in a pagan world with a pagan ethic, with pagan presuppositions that's been so far removed and has never remotely understood anything about Jesus, who's become a Christian. What do you teach them first? Where do you start? What do they need to know? Do they come here, David's series, Pastor David, on the foundations of the faith? Actually, That'd be a tremendous place to start. But there is something else. And that was what the early church put together to teach. It's called the Didache. And scholars are a little bit all over the map 
on when the Didache was written. But if you take out the extremists who were arguing to justify their position on other things, for example, the Didache, uh, uh, by my accounting and, and many scholars, uh, not that I'm grouping myself in them, um, that just means by a lawyer's look, uh, but uh, um, Didache clearly, clearly, clearly reflects a really deep knowledge, not just of Matthew, but of other Gospels as well. And so the, the Didache, uh, a lot of scholars don't want to date it early, despite the evidence it should be dated early, because they think Matthew was written real late. They think Luke was written real late. And so if you take those who have an agenda like that out of the picture, because I'm an early Matthew guy, I'm an early Luke guy, I'm a real early Mark guy, okay? So if you take that out, you're looking, when you look at the Didache, at something that was written somewhere between 50 A.D., 75, maybe 80 A.D. So you're looking at something that was either a contemporary of Paul's. Some scholars believe it actually reflects part of the letter that was written by the Jerusalem Council Church in Acts 15. I got no clue. But it is an extremely early document that the church had circulating to teach not just new believers, but even old believers, what we need to be doing to walk in Christ. So when we look at this, we're looking at something that predates the Gospel of John. It predates the Revelation of John, the Epistles of John, and it may predate more. It's very, very, very early. So, with that, let's talk about what's in it. First of all, it begins with, in fact, if we went back here, you can see um, the first line, Didache ton dodeca apostolon, the, the teaching or the training or the teaching of dodeca is 12, 12 apostolon. Any guesses? Apostles. That's the shorter title that scholars give it. The teaching of the twelve apostles. And then the next line is Didache, uh, Didache uh, Kuriu, which is Lord. All right. So the teaching of the Lord diatone through the twelve apostles to the nations. To the, to the Gentiles, you could say. To, to the, to, to, to those who are outside the faith but have now come in. So this is the training manual. And then it, it continues um, a road. There are two roads. The comma should be before Mia. Mia is one. There are two roads, one of life and one of death. And that's where this starts out. It says there are two roads in front of you that you can choose in your life. This isn't eternal, that one salvation decision. This is each moment in life. You've got two roads you can choose. And one road is the road of life, and one road is the road of death. Now, I love this passage as much as anything in the entire Didache. And let me tell you why. 
It's one thing for you to say to someone, do this, do that. You know, you, you can say, hey, don't go see that movie to your 17-year-old daughter. You could lay down that law, and, and if your 17-year-old daughter is like our 17-year-old daughter, she would honor her parents and she would do what we said. Or you could say, let's look at the movie and let's see the effect of the movie that it might have on you. Let's look at the reasons why we do what we do. And then maybe looking at them, you go to the movie. Maybe looking at them, you don't go to the movie. But let's look at the reasons why. It's always better. I learned this early in trying lawsuits. You don't just tell the jury, hey, do this. You need to tell them why. People respond better and do better if you tell them why. The reason the teaching, the Didache says, out of these two ways, you want to choose the way that's right, is because it leads to life. It's good for you. It makes life better. It makes life fuller. It will enable you to be who you need to be. The reason you don't do this other stuff, this garbage, is because it leads to death. I mean, if it's that graphic in front of you, okay, this is going to be good for me. This is going to be bad for me. Why on earth are you going to choose the bad? I mean, honestly, there's, there's this point in our life, I hope, where we get as mature people. And I'd love to think we're going to get there. I hope our children get there when they're young. Where they say, oh, mom and dad said don't do this. Gee, is it because they're just mean and anti-fun? Is it David Letterman's more fun than humans should be allowed? Or might they know that this isn't good for me? I got a friend who says he's told his high school kids, no, you're not out past midnight. Why? Nothing good happens after midnight. So there are these two roads. One leads to life, one leads to death. Which one are you going to follow? And that's the way it starts out. So chapter one of the book has a list of do's. Here are all of these do's. Now, if you're going to actually get a copy of the Didache, and you can read it on the internet. You can download it tons of places. If we go to the Elmo, I'll show you the copy I would recommend that you buy if you want to buy one. This is the Didache text, translation, analysis, and commentary. It's by a fellow named Aaron Milovec. And, and I stole mine out of the local theological library when no one was looking, I would not recommend you do that. But uh, the Didache, and this is marvelous because if you like to tinker with Greek and stuff, he puts the Greek on one side and he puts the English on the other. We're going to look at the English this morning. So after the title, and those are the titles that we read together in Greek, he says there are two ways, one of life and one of death. There's a great difference between the two ways. On the one hand, the way of life is this. First, love the God who made you. 
Does the Bible teach? Didn't Jesus teach his apostles? That was the greatest commandment? What was the second commandment? Second, love your neighbor as yourself. On the other hand, the way of life is this. On the other hand, that, that in, in Greek, um, it's, they, they use these particles all the time and, and people sometimes feel obligated to translate them. It just means, hey, here's some more. Or it might mean, here's something different. Or it might, I mean, you can just, but that doesn't mean, well, you, you'll get the gist of it. As many things as you wish not to happen to you, don't do them to someone else. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It's pretty, you can see the apostles may have caught that teaching from Jesus, can't you? The church may have. Um, And for an assimilation of these words, the training is like this. In other words, how practically do we love our neighbor as ourselves? How practically do we love God? And so we have that section coming here. Uh, Let's focus a little bit better. There we go. First, speak well of the one speaking badly of you. Pray for your enemies. Fast for the ones persecuting you. What merit is there if you love the ones loving you? Even the Gentiles do the same thing. You, on the other hand, love the ones hating you, and you will not have an enemy. And so we've got a set of these do's. Look at at the next set. Abstain from fleshly and bodily desires. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, hit them right between the eyes. Oh, no, sorry. I should never go by memory. Turn to him. Or her, also the other, and you will be perfect. That word perfect is is teleos. It means mature. Doesn't mean that's a way to become perfection. Um, uh, I would translate that mature. If anyone should press you into service for one mile, go with him or her too. If anyone should take away your cloak, give them also your tunic. If anyone should take from you what's yours, don't ask for it back, even if uh, for you are not even able to do so. Don't do it. Now, if you were reading this in the Greek, it's it's written, and I like the way the Greek is written. And he's tried. This gentleman's tried to do the same thing in the the English version, but you can see that it was written for easy memorization. This is something that likely the people were being told to memorize. And so it's written in a form that makes it very easy to memorize. And these are rules and these are do's and these are core Christian basic foundational things. You can look at what we were looking at and you can find each one of them in Scripture. Um, Love the Lord God who made you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Compare that to Luke 10, 27. Luke 10, 27. Ugh, looks kind of yellowy. Sorry. Luke 10, 27. We'll get it here. 
Luke 10, 27. What's written in the law? How do you read it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you'll love your neighbor as yourself. That's what uh, the lawyer told Jesus, and Jesus said that's right. Jesus himself says it in other places. All of these passages we looked at are passages that are readily found within the context of the Gospels. So if we go back to the PowerPoint. So the dues that he lists are standard dues, and then the second chapter, he lists the don'ts. So he starts out with the positive, the didache starts out with the positive, and then the didache goes to the negatives. So for the dues, you'll see the golden rule that we looked at. You'll see to love God. You'll see to love your neighbor. You'll see to talk nice about people, even the people talking bad about you. You know, it's a lot easier to do that if you're reading the English translation that says speak about so-and-so, even if they speak badly. That's okay because we don't speak about people. But if you put it into our vernacular, what it really means is talk nice about people, even the people that are talking bad about you. That's a hard thing to do. I mean, there are people I have trouble talking nice about even if they're not talking about me. Bruce and I were at basketball uh, 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 the other night for, for Northland Christian and poor Northland, we were not only playing the other team, we were playing the officials. I think we could have beaten the other team. It's the officials that we couldn't beat. I was having trouble talking nicely about them. And I was very loud about it. And it doesn't matter that I was right. (laughs) Bruce looks at me and says, Where do they come from? Since when is it okay to put the ball on your thigh and walk around? (laughs) And then start dribbling again. So anyway, then there's a list of, you know, turn the other cheek. A list of don'ts. The don'ts should not surprise you. There's murder. There's adultery. There's magic and astrology. Don't abort children. Don't corrupt boys. Now you're thinking, why are they putting that in there? Corrupting boys was legal, acceptable, and quite common in the Roman world. And corrupting boys um, is a sexual reference to... um, uh, initiating boys into homosexuality. It's the reason most boys, or even girls for that matter, did not roam the streets alone. Uh, You would have someone old enough to secure your safety. But here's a list of the the chapter 2, the don'ts. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't corrupt boys. Don't have illicit sex. Don't steal. Don't practice magic. Don't make potions. Don't murder offspring by means of abortion. Uh, Don't kill someone who's been born. They could do that as well. Uh, Under the Roman law, if you had a child, you didn't want the child, you could abandon the child as an infant. Uh, Don't desire the things of your neighbor. As Kevin Parker sings, be above it, don't covet. 
Don't swear falsely. Don't bear false witness. Don't speak badly of anyone. Don't hold grudges. Don't be double-minded or double-tongued. That's a snare of death. Your words should not be false or empty. If you say it, do it. Don't be covetous. Don't be greedy. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be bad-mannered. Don't be arrogant. Don't make an evil plan against your neighbor. Don't hate anyone, even though sometimes you need to correct people. Concerning others, you'll pray, and there are some you're going to love more than your own soul. There's a range of people, but all of them get good treatment. So this continues on into chapter 3, but it gives you a feel, it gives you an idea. All of these are biblical teachings. So with that, we got to keep going. Um, I'm going to skip to chapter 6. Chapter 6 talks about not eating food that's been sacrificed to idols. Now, that's not really a problem in our day, I didn't think. But now I've got to start thinking all over again. Because I'm in Hull, England, and I found my favorite restaurant. And my favorite restaurant is one of many that serves Hallel meat. Now, Hallel meat is meat that's been slaughtered in a way that is approved by the teachings of Islam, which includes blessing Allah over the meat when it's being slaughtered. Now, how does that land with me? Well, I wish my little sister had brought it up to me after I'd eaten all of the food because I had no knowledge. Um, it's, it's, I don't know how, where I land on something like that. I need to think about it. I need to study about it. I need to pray about it. But it's a fascinating idea. Maybe that's an issue in our day and we didn't know it. Maybe I understand Allah is just the Arabic word for God. And would be used for God if they were translating the New Testament into Arabic. And I certainly bless my food by, by, by proclaiming God's name over it before I eat it. So I don't understand. But hey, I'm throwing it out there. It's just a, a freebie you get by coming to class. Chapter 7, baptism. Baptism is fascinating here. Now in this, the, 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 the Didache gives information outside and instructions that are not found in Scripture. And so anytime there's something in here that's not found in Scripture, by definition, I want to be a little more cautious about it. Because I really want to follow Scripture, not even the earliest church traditions, if they seem to be in conflict. But, you know, too much conflict. It's pretty interesting to see what it says. So let's look at it. Chapter 7. Concerning baptism, here's how you do it. Having said all these things beforehand, immerse in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in flowing water. Because it's living water in the Old Testament concept, living water that reflects the new life and the new birth in Christ, living water, by definition, was water in something that flows. As opposed to still water, which might be in a lake, or dead water, 
which is in the Dead Sea. If, on the other hand, you don't have flowing water, there's no creek or river nearby, immerse in other water that's available, but it needs to be cold water to remind you that it could be living. When Mark, uh, Christmas, where is Mark? Mark got this lesson. He emailed me, he said, remember the church picnic when you baptized me in the pond? He said, we didn't have flowing water, but it was cold. <laughs> then in cold. And if you're not able to do it in cold, you can do it in warm water. And if you don't have either, let's say you're in the middle of the desert, there's no oasis, you got a canteen, and someone wants to be baptized. And they, they're not going to wait till they get to real water. They want to be baptized now. You don't have either. You pour water onto the head three times. You got to do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, that's, you're thinking, okay, I can handle that. You ready to get tough? How about this one? And prior to the baptism, let the one doing the baptizing fast. And let the one being baptized fast. And if anyone else has the strength, let them fast too. On the other hand, the one being baptized should be fasting for one or two days prior to the baptism. And you're thinking, wow. But hey, it's no big deal because chapter 8, they start talking about fasting and what the rest of the church was being taught to do. Let your fasts not stand with the hypocrites. The hypocrites fast on the second and on the fifth day of the week. You need to be fasting during the fourth and during Sabbath preparation day. Fasting twice a week? Plus, when you're baptizing people on top of that? This is a skinny church. we go back to the PowerPoint. <laughs> I mean, just think, I mean, heavens, we, our class attendance would drop 80% if we didn't have donuts. <laughs> and I left David's sermon just a little early this morning because we had a little something problem we had to work on on the video. And I found out the reason some people get here early is because there are cookies over there even before the donuts. They're like, really? Anyway... So let's move on from chapter 8 in fasting. Chapter 8 also tells us how to pray. And the prayers of chapter 8 are going to really stun you. Okay? Look at the prayer if we go back to the overhead. Don't pray like the hypocrites pray. But as the Lord ordered in his... Anyone want to guess what the Greek word for good news is? Gospel. And this is why some people who are skeptics about the Bible and who are insisting that the New Testament had to have been written late, 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 this really throws them and jars them. And this is why they try to date the Didache so late is because the Didache says uh, to pray like in the Gospels and then it gives the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that is identical 
to the way Matthew gives it with four small changes. And you don't, uh, look, the, when you're translating something into Greek, that's huge. Four small changes, is it, just to have four is like nothing because you can change word order. You can change word form. You can do all of these things and still have the same Lord's Prayer. But these words are so close to identical, it's, it's almost impossible. And the translation is by this fella, but you could translate it exactly the way you say the Lord's Prayer. You just have to add that because yours is the power and the glory forever at the end. Other than that, it's the same as the Lord's Prayer. And look what he says to do. Three times within the day, pray this way. You're to pray the Lord's Prayer in the morning. You're to pray the Lord's Prayer at noon, in the, you know, lunchtime. And you're to pray the Lord's Prayer in the evening. Three times a day. And this is what the young Christians were taught. Not as a mindless prayer. That'd be like the hypocrites pray. But when he says don't pray like the hypocrites, you're to think through the prayer. You're to be thinking, how can I live to hallow, to make holy uh, God's name on earth the way it is in heaven? How can I live to see his kingdom come? How can I live so that the will of God is done on earth the way it is in heaven? How can I, you know, and each three times a day, Lord, give us our daily bread. Three times a day, I'm to think about forgiving others because I want to, to walk in forgiveness. It's a, it's a weird thing. Chapter 9 talks about the Eucharist, one of the most beautiful Eucharistic prayers ever. I don't want to run out of time because we've got a, a surprise coming up in the lesson. One of the most beautiful Eucharistic prayers. Look at this prayer for the, the, the Lord's Supper. Concerning the cup, we give you thanks, our Father, for the holy vine of your servant Davis, which you, David, which you revealed to us through your servant Jesus. To you is the glory forever. Concerning the bread. We give you thanks, our Father, for the life and knowledge which you revealed to us through your servant Jesus. To you is the glory forever. Look at this. Just as the broken loaf was scattered over the hills as grain. In other words, before the loaf was a loaf, their wheat was spread across the hills. Just as that, having been gathered together, it's become one bread. In like fashion, may your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your one kingdom. Because yours is the glory and the power through Jesus, Messiah, forever. It was closed communion. Let no one eat or drink from your Eucharist except those baptized in the name of the Lord. This is what the Lord said. Don't give what's holy to the dogs. And uh, the bread and the wine are holy. So the Eucharist is talked about. In chapters 10 and 11, it talks about the mission of the church. Praise for the Gentiles and the world to be saved. You go into chapters 11 and 12, it talks about hospitality. It tells you to entertain those itinerant preachers that are going around. And, and it's fascinating. It says, in fact, it helps us understand 1 Thessalonians, where Paul says, when I came among you, I didn't even eat your bread. I wouldn't even take a loaf of bread from you. I paid my way all the way. Paul writes that at a time where the church is being taught, if someone comes to you as an itinerant preacher, and they ask you for money, kick them out. They're a false prophet. Let them stay with you a couple of days, but if they want to stay longer than a couple of days, make them work. If they want to take a loaf of bread for the road, you can give them a loaf of bread for the road, but don't give them money. That's how you know they're false. And Paul, in that 
er in that time of the world was writing to the church saying, I wouldn't even take a free loaf of bread from you. He's, he's establishing his authority in those types of things. And that's something that helps us understand the Bible more as we read this as well. It talks about tithing. Uh, uh, it talks about church structure. In fact, it, it talks about uh, churches appointing elders and deacons, episcopos. And, and it's another reason that scholars date this so early. It doesn't look like each, each region or even each church has one bishop. It's got a, a, a set of bishops. It's, it's before the church had moved into that stage where they were starting to create degrees of hierarchy to try and administer the church more broadly. It's very much in the era where Paul's appointing elders in Ephesus and in the other churches. And then it ends with a proclamation about how Jesus will come again and that he will descend upon the clouds. And it reads very much like what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians. And so you've got this. Now, I really thought we'd had a couple of songs in a row. We didn't need another song, so I thought we were done. And then Dale Hearn, he sends me an email that he's got this brilliant idea for a song based upon the Didache. I'd never even heard the song before. I don't think any of you have heard the song before. I thought it was just an outrageous reach. Meanwhile, I had a phone conversation with Phil Keggy. And he said, so is the class liking my songs? I said, yes. I said, in fact, we were going to get you one this week. But the only thing that happened is Dale Hearn recommended Summertime, Summertime. And in true confession, I will confess, Dale, when I mentioned this to the panel back there this morning, they all started singing the song. So maybe I'm the only one who didn't know that song that hit number 26 on the top Billboard 100 in 1958. <laughs> so I said to Phil, I said, Phil, you know, I, we didn't have a song this week. We're doing the Didache. And I said, uh, the only song I could think of that could even work was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And I just didn't have the courage to call you and ask you to write something to or, or sing Chitty Chitty Bang Bang if I wrote the lyrics. He said, no, no, no. He said, this is the song. I said, yeah, that works. I'll send you lyrics in five minutes. Two hours later, he sent the song. Are you ready for your song for the Didache? All right, here's your Didache song. This is dedicated to the one God loves. is now behind you three times a day oh new Dedicated to the one God loves. This is dedicated to the one God loves. This is dedicated to the one God loves. This is dedicated to the one God loves.
I will tell Phil your thanks. So we've got to have him come sometime to class just to, we, I think at this point, I have at least 45 minutes of his songs. We need to do an album. Here's your fruit to take home. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 2.38. This was an apostolic teaching because it was a teaching of Jesus. The Christian life is not simply a life of putting your faith in Jesus and going from there. There is, is active repentance because there is a way that leads to life and there is a way that leads to death. And part of faith is knowing that. And it's embracing Jesus the Lord and what he's told us to do. And so uh, uh, we've got that. I believe it and I plan on acting like it. That's my fruit for home there. Second fruit for home. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, three times a day. Now, we don't come from a, a, a highly ritualistic church if you're in this church on a regular basis. But how interesting would it be if you made the resolution for the rest of this year, just to see what the Lord can do in my life, I'm going to commit to trying to pray, not like a hypocrite, simply giving words to it, but truly try to pray and live consistent with the Lord's Prayer three times a day. What might it change in your life? Now, at first, you're going to forget to do this because it's going to sound like a real good idea. So you've got to write yourself a note. You've got to find someone to hold you accountable. And you've got to set your timer or do whatever you need to do. But we can do that. And I think it's a wonderful thing. Um, fruit for home number three. Then we who are alive, this is Paul writing in 1 Thessalonians about the second coming. We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with the ones who have already died in Jesus in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There is an encouragement to the fact that we're not walking this life for today. This life is our road with a Savior who is in us, as, as uh, Pastor David read, the hope, the El peace, confident expectation of glory in us. He will come again and we will be with him. If you're memorizing with us passages, uh, we need the first six verses of 1 John done next week. I may try to spend a little bit more time on it. Uh, so let's, let's really try and buckle down. If we don't get up on this now, we're going to lose track for the year. Can I pray over you, please? Lord, I pray your blessings on my friends, on those listening, that you would keep them, that you would make your face shine upon them, that you would be gracious to them, I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.